Welcome to Between Two Printers, a podcast where we will discuss all things 3D printing and ONP. I'm your host, Jeff, and I've been with Warm for the past 19 years, and recently my role has been increasingly revolving around 3D printing. So we decided to create a podcast to discuss and share some of the learnings we've had along this journey. Welcome back to another episode of Between Two Printers. I'm joined again by Chris Hanford. He's been here before, but uh, we've got him again today. Why don't you introduce yourself and let me know what you want to talk about? Thanks, Jeff. Uh, yeah, uh, Chris Hanford here. I'm the product manager at Vorum. Um, longtime uh, colleague uh, of, of Jeff Chang. Um, looking forward to talk today a little bit more about uh, FDA regulations and how they impact like three printing uh, devices within the OMP industry. Sounds good. Cool. Yeah, with the, uh, I mean, with the fast pace of development in three printing, um, you know, I think. Everybody really wants to know uh, how FDA regulations impact the work they're doing and the development they're doing in the 3D printing uh, space. Um, of course, in the US, um, we've had a lot of customers uh, ask uh, us questions about um, how they know if they're, you know, how, how they know if they're FDA compliant, how they know uh, where to look for, for some of the regulations uh, to know that they're going by the book. Um, I would say kind of as a disclaimer, you know, anything we're talking about today, really just uh, in this format, uh, really scratching the surface of uh, all the details that people need to look into. Um, everything we're, ta- we've, we're gonna talk about today is just really our best understanding of FDA regulations related to custom orthotic and prosthetic devices. Um, Worm doesn't offer any compliance approval or consulting services. So it's just everyone's own obligation to go through the right channels to, uh, make sure they're um, they're following you know the regulations there. Um, but that said, uh, our hope is that uh, we'll offer some useful tips and get you started on the right path. Um, great. So Jeff, FDA compliance. Um, before one understands the regulatory compliance of their devices, how does one decide if it's even relevant for the uh, devices they're printing or producing? Uh, well, pretty much if you're here listening to this podcast, it's relevant. Um, the FDA has a pretty large umbrella. It covers a lot of stuff. If we talk about some of the things that you've uh, seen in the news recently, let's talk about N95 masks and the COVID pandemic that's going on right now. Uh, those masks are governed by the FDA. Uh, let's talk about going to the park with your little kid and they fall down and get a little boo-boo and you take a little sticker that's got a little piece of uh, fabric on it to cover their boo-boo. Those band-aids, also covered by the FDA. You can get onto their website and you can see Johnson & Johnson's 510K pre-market notification for band-aids. So all of those sorts of things are covered by the FDA and that's gonna include your knee braces and your AFOs and your TLSOs and everything else that we're we're talking about making using our system. Uh, What's the bigger question isn't whether or not FDA compliance is a thing, but rather what are the specific elements of FDA compliance that you need to be concerned with given the type of device that you're looking at. Okay, cool. So within the segment of devices, uh, you know what our what our customers are doing, what the market is doing around uh, ONP devices. What are the general areas that they must be looking into? So the majority of the devices that our customers are making with our system and uh, and that we're looking at doing with three D printing 
Most of those are class are custom class one medical devices. Um, so the custom part is a real key piece there. If it were just a class one medical device and something that you were mass producing, there are additional regulations which you get an exemption from in the custom. Uh, so one of those would be the current good manufacturing practice. Basically, that's a bunch of rules to make sure that you follow a consistent protocol when you're making a device so that it's very consistent. Um, but those rules are exempt for custom devices. And it's simply because there's testing and stuff that, that goes along with some of that that's not practical to do on a custom device. Um, but if you were making off the shelf AFOs, TLSOs, whatever it might be, there's a bunch of regulations around that sort of stuff that needs to be done. Okay. Uh, back in 2018, uh, the FDA released a set of guidelines for manufacturing medical devices using additive manufacturing. Um, and those added some specifics to the general guidelines um, and you know, focused on the differences with 3D printing. Uh, I think some of those things related to just print orientation within uh, the printer, you know, the orientation of the device as it's being printed. Um, it related to treatment of materials and even sort of the cleaning and finishing up of the final device after it comes out of the printer. Um, for the orientation uh, piece that they spoke about, uh, I do think that that can impact sort of how how much you kind of pack in the, the build volume of your printer with you know the various devices you might be doing for different patients. Yeah, that's right. So one of the things that's that's really important is depending on the type of 3D print technology that you're using, there may be variations in the strength as a function of the orientation of the device uh, within the printer. So with the FDM style stuff, where you've got these layers built up, what tends to happen is you've got a fair bit greater strength in the x y direct dimensions than you do in the z dimension and the z dimension being the one uh, the dimension of the layers and what that means is you can't just put the shape into the printer in any orientation uh, if you do some of the parts are going to be stronger than other ones in some other print technologies, the powder-based ones in particular, there's a lot less variation in strength as a function of the orientation of the, uh, of the part inside the printer. However, there's still impacts about where it is in the printer because if you get the part too close to the edge of the build volume, uh, it can have different cooling parameters as, uh, as the, the material cools down at the during and at the end of the print if it's at the edge of the work volume versus in the center. And that can have uh, effects with respect to strength. It can have effects with respect to accuracy in terms of warping, stuff like that. So both of these are really sort of important things to consider. And what was given in the FDA guidelines about this is you need to do one of two things. Either you need to ensure that the part is always printed in the same and ideal place and then make sure that the tests of your part uh, are sufficient to, to meet the needs of whatever it's supposed to do. Or you need to test the part that's been built in the worst case scenario. That is, find an orientation and location within the printer where the part is going to be the most warped, the weakest, uh, all of those things, and make sure that the part 
uh, whether it's, again, an ankle foot orthotic, a knee brace, TLSO, whatever that part may be, make sure that in the worst case scenario that it's strong enough. And then you know that for those parts that are printed in a different part of the work volume, that they're going to be at least that strong. Yeah, and I guess that kind of limits the, uh, the amount of devices you can kind of pack into the, into the machine as well. It certainly does have impacts there. And the other thing to consider too with the FDM printers, uh, unlike the powder-based technologies, with the FDM printers, if there's a sufficient overhang, it's going to be necessary to have supporting materials printed uh, that will hold the rest of the device as you print. That has a few impacts. One, it's definitely going to have an impact on the surface finish. And two, it's going to have an impact on the amount of material that, that's used. So there's very often with FDM prints uh, a very well-defined optimum print orientation to make sure that it prints well. Very cool. Uh, one of those other issues they, they spoke about was just the storage of materials. Like I know, um, especially for 3D printing, um, the, the temperature and the humidity in the, in the environment uh, where the material is store, stored is, is really critical to having a consistent, uh, pres uh, consistently printed device. Yeah, that's right. Um, a lot of the materials that are used for 3D print are hydrophilic. And what that means is that they like water. Uh, and it doesn't mean that if they were on Facebook that they'd be you know, responding to water with little hearts. It means that they try to absorb the water. And why that's important is with FDM, we're heating up this plastic and pushing it through this hot nozzle. And if there's water in it, that water wants to turn to steam because it's hot. And when it turns to steam, that creates little micro bubbles, which causes uh, basically tiny, tiny little defects in the print that make it both not as nice to look at, it gets kind of a cloudy appearance, and it also makes it weaker. Uh, so having water in the, in the filament is kind of a bad thing in terms of your prints. So it's really important that your material is dried. Um, and when you're drying it, it's also important that you don't overcook it, meaning that you don't dry it at too high of a temperature because then the material can become brittle, it can discolor. Uh, so there's all kinds of things that you need to factor in there. Now, for the most part, this isn't new stuff. We have the same issues with sheet material. If the sheet material is exposed to higher temperatures for too long, if it's exposed to UV uh, for extended periods of time, you can have issues where your plastic effectively goes off and anything that you make from it is going to be weakened or just not function. Hmm. That's uh, really important to uh, take into account and make sure you're managing uh, properly. For the, you know, that last one I mentioned, there's around cleaning and finishing and the curing of the, of the part. Um, and they, to me, that, that really is speaking to the human element of, you know, once you print, the machine has done its part. Um, and then there can be a lot more variability in, in how it's handled uh, after the fact. Um, are there, you know, are there different considerations for, for different printing technologies or how, how would one even uh, manage that? Sure. Yeah, and definitely there's, there's different things to factor in depending on the print technology that you're using. So for FDM parts, uh, very often these are secured to the print bed with some sort of adhesive. Uh, depending on the adhesive that's used, this may need to be, or this may, this will definitely want to be cleaned away adequately before providing it to a patient. Um, part of that goes, goes back to uh, biocompatibility, which I think we'll touch on a little bit later. 
but you may have chosen a material that is, uh, that's good for patient contact, but if there's something in your adhesive that's not good for patient contact, then you wanna be very certain that you've removed any traces of that before you're putting the device onto the patient. With respect to resin printers, um, most of the time the prints come out in a state that's called green, which means that the resin is only partially cured. Uh, it's cured far enough so that it will maintain its shape, but it needs to undergo a secondary curing in order to be completely cured. Uh, while this may seem like an extra step, it's actually a good thing because it does, generally speaking, ensure that you have more uniformity of strength throughout the part. Um, but the downside, of course, is, you know, it's an extra step. Um, the other part of it is, the part has been effectively soaking in a bath of resin as it's printing. Um, so you really want to make sure that you get all of that excess resin from the outside cleaned off before you, uh, before you do the extra curing and before you provide it to the patient. If you've looked at a bottle of resin and seen all of the Wemis safety data stickers all over it, uh, I think you'd be pretty confident that you don't want to have that in contact with your skin for hours or days. Definitely. Um, so yeah, that, so that biocompatibility piece is, uh, you know, it's really uh, something critical as you, as you uh, provide a, a, you know, the, the appropriate device for your patient. The patient's gonna be wearing this hours a day and maybe four weeks or, or years um, in, some, in some cases. Um, so, you know, there's things around uh, biocompatibility. You know, we wanna make sure it's safe for the skin um, from irritation and abrasion and allergic reactions. Um, how does one uh, test for this? Um, are there specific uh, standards um, that uh, one would follow? Um, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll start there. Yeah, so there, there are standards, of course. Um, there's a ISO standard, the 10993-1. This has existed for some time. It's been adopted as the basis for the FDA, um, for the FDA guidance with respect to biocompatibility. What's probably most important to know and to understand is this is not new to 3D printing. Uh, there's regulations and standards that have existed for some time uh, covering this. The big difference is that for conventionally made OMP devices, we haven't really changed up the materials a lot in the last 10 years, let's say, for the most part. And so the net effect of that is you know, somebody did the tests on these materials at some point in the past, and everybody else just kind of make keeps making stuff relying on those uh, those results, and uh, with the assumption that the materials haven't changed, and thus the effect that they're going to have on the patients are not going to change. What's different today is with three D printing, there are new materials that are being used. Um, specifically. For FDM, there are some new materials that wouldn't have traditionally been used in sheet form. Um, and then for the resin materials, these are completely different materials that weren't used before to make these sorts of devices. So it's important that, um, that these materials are tested to ensure that they're not going to cause complications with patients. And what the FDA has done with respect to the ISO standard is they've set forth a table for what they call endpoint evaluation. And what this means is for a given category of device, um, you look at the type of body contact and the duration. And then that will determine which sorts of biocompatibility tests are needed to ensure that the device can be used safely. 
So I mentioned before, in terms of the FDI umbrella, you've got N95 masks, you've got band-aids, you've got um, AFOs and TLSOs in terms of the stuff that our, uh, that our customers are making. And then you've got other stuff that's much more invasive, let's say like a hip implant or a knee implant. And so those sorts of devices, because of the type of contact and because of the duration, have to undergo different levels of testing. So what ends up happening is for the class one devices that, that the majority of our customers are making, those are subject to a few tests to, uh, to ensure that they're going to be okay next to skin. They're not going to be next to blood. They're, uh, they're not next, generally speaking, they're not next to damaged skin. Um, and they're certainly not implantable with, you know, with the exception of, um, we've, I'm sure you've seen the, uh, the trans, uh, transfemoral sockets that have an implantable piece, but the, uh, that's really doesn't involve our software so much because it effectively, uh, skips this, the, it effectively skips the step of having a socket. Right. So um, when when one is looking for a material to know that it's biocompatible, um, can they look to the, the material manufacturers that might already have this information? Yeah. So a number of the a number of the manufacturers will have this information already. Uh, I would say, as a general rule, if you're going with a supplier for the O&P industry, um, or if you're going with a reputable O&P vendor, uh, they should have done these tests for the given materials that, that they're using. Um, again, it is a little bit more of a thing that you need to look at with respect to 3D printing because these materials are slightly different um, or very often they're slightly different. They may have had to make some small adjustments to the formulation in order to make it uh, turn into filament nicely compared with the sheet material that they would have normally done previously. Right, and um, I've also uh, seen in, in the FDA guidance that uh, the devices themselves should be tested for the biocompatibility, not just a, you know, just not just a raw spool uh, of, uh, of material, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the basic idea behind it is simply that um, the material may undergo certain sorts of changes during the printing. For FDM prints, um, there's certainly less of an issue with that, um, but it is still the FDA guidance that the, the tests should be run on finished devices. With resin prints, I think it's pretty clear. Uh, it's undergoing a chemical reaction during the printing process, such that the materials that you start with are not the materials that you finish with. And this is the this is the same thing as any fiberglass or carbon fiber layup that you that you may have done in the past uh, doing conventional manufacture. The two part resin that you may have used, it's neither one of those parts that we need to test. It's not of interest. Uh, you need to make sure that you have a good process to make sure that you get your ratios correct in the mix. But what's really important is testing the final uh, the final material. Great. So uh, that's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we've uh, covered here today. Um, just, I guess, maybe one last uh, question just around biocompatibility testing. Um, is that something that clinics need to do themselves or are there, uh, you know, are there easy steps they, they should follow or are there organizations they can reach out to to help with that testing? 
so this part's a little bit hazier in terms of the uh, in terms of the guidance. When they first, when the FDA first came out with uh, some of their stuff, it sounded like everybody needed to test every device uh, in every material. And more recently, it's it's leaning a little bit more towards a more practical approach, where if a material is tested after it's undergone an equivalent process, then it may be uh, it may be possible to say. I don't need to test this material because somebody else has already tested it doing the same thing with it. Now, it's just really important that you follow through and make sure that you are doing the same thing as whoever's tested it. So the notion there is, and some, some manufacturers have gone down this road already, they've used a specific printer with specific parameters and printed specific materials and had those things tested so that you can rely on those and go back to them and say, I'm not going to test because this. And what's really important there is if you're going to try to exempt yourself from doing any of these things, it's the FDA. You don't want to mess around. So if you're going to exempt yourself from anything, you better have some sort of paper trail to show why you believe that that is uh, a reasonable course of action. Wow. Uh, really good points there, Jeff. Um, Thank you uh, so much. Uh, there's, you know, of course, there's probably a lot more we could get into on this topic, but that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Um, you know, I think I just encourage everybody, uh, you know, we hope to do many more of these uh, podcast episodes. We encourage everybody to reach out with questions and suggestions on, on topics that maybe they're wondering about, uh, you know, so we can focus on what matters to our, uh, our audience. So uh, again, thanks a lot, Jeff, and we'll talk to you again another time. Thanks for joining me. I hope it was instructive. Absolutely, as always. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to like, review, or share on whichever platform you're listening on. We build these episodes according to what we think you want to hear. So please do leave us some feedback by either leaving a comment or reaching out to us at info at forum.com. Until then, take care.